Welcome to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizStocks, the podcast created to empower career-curious students and ambitious young professionals. Each week, I interview some of the most successful directors, top-level executives, and entrepreneurs in business to hear their experiences of success, failure, and lessons they've picked up along the way. I'm your host, Sean Wolf, and today we sit down with Jarek Robbins. Jarek Robbins is an incredible performance coach and business consultant who has been working with organizations like BMW, the Air Force, and even the U.S. Olympic team for over 16 years. He has so many lessons and knowledge to share, including how he started his performance coaching career, which is full of stories of success and failure. We also cover some really awesome exercises that you can use today that will help you decrease anxiety, and stress due to being at home from COVID-19. Jarek is offering something he calls the Small Business Survival Kit, which is a free program that walks you through how to position your company to survive during the lockdown economy of COVID-19 and also ultimately to set your company up to thrive. Jarek is gracious enough to actually dive into some of the details of this program. And I really think that if you have a business and it's struggling during these times, I think you could walk away with something really valuable here. Anyways, this episode is totally packed, full of knowledge and lessons learned, and I'm excited for you to dive in. Okay, so uh, you ready to kick it off? Let's do it. Awesome. So I wanted to kind of start from the beginning and get an understanding of why you wanted to jump into a career of performance coaching. Cool. Well, I started my very, very first career as security at Blockbuster Video. So Friday and Saturday nights, I was the tall kid who happened to be pretty big because of sports in high school. And I wasn't old enough to work a register. So they hired me to like roam the aisles of Blockbuster on Friday and Saturday to deter the video game thieves from stealing the, the video games. Wow. <laughs> Luckily theft did go down over 70% from the day I started working. So apparently I did scare away whoever was stealing the game. <laughs> so it worked. It worked. I got some performance right out of the gate there. Um, I, I then went and worked in, in my family's nonprofit, which was my heart and soul. I'm like, this is the coolest job in the world. I get paid to help people all day. Like, how cool is that? Um, now, the only challenge was, and, and we were helping homeless people. We were helping people in prison. Uh, we were helping the youth leaders. It was a very, very cool projects to get to work on and be a part of. And then it, it kind of came to the point where I remember I, I walked across the courtyard in the building that we were in. And my friend was the head of this department called coaching at the time. And I remember being like, well, what do these people do? I mean, they're on the phone all day, but we're like, what are they actually doing? And she was like, well, they're coaches. I'm like, and what is it? Co- uh, they coach soccer or something? She's like, no, no, no. They coach business owners. They coach professionals. I'm like, and what? They're like their life. Like, how did that work? Like, do you have someone do sprints in the morning or something? Like, tell me the details. And she's like, no, 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 no. We show them how to make better decisions. We show them how to better understand themselves, how to be better leaders, how to be, you know, me- mentally, emotionally resilient to hard times. I'm like, well, that's cool. And I was like, well, how does it work? And she showed me the details. I'm like, well, how much do these guys get paid? And, and she showed me like the range. And I was like, wow, that's a lot more than I get paid in the nonprofit. 
And, and I was like, and all they do is help people all day. But they, I help people all day, but they get paid a lot more than I do to help people all day. Like that, that doesn't seem fair. And I remember I was 18 years old. I looked up, I'm like, can I do it? And I think she, like as a friend, she humorously was like, well, sure you can. And I was like, <laughs> no, seriously, like, can I come do this? <laughs> and, and she was like, well, you'd need some training. Like we can't just put you in because you're there. Um, and she's like, well, here, I'll give you some information to go, to go learn. And you come back and you do a test and see if you know it. So I took it and I went and studied it like crazy, came back, showed it to her. She's like, yeah, this is really good. You got it. And I was like, okay. She's like, well, you, now you need like official training. So they put me through 250 hours of actual training wow. um, to learn how it really works and how to actually do it professionally and properly. And then they said, now you're on, after all the training, now you're on probation. So now we'll give you a few clients. We'll let you work with them. And depending on how the feedback and results come back, we'll determine if we cut you or if we keep you on the team. And so I got my first few clients. I did good enough that they were like, okay, this is great. I was not great in the beginning. <laughs> I was learning. I was practicing. Uh, but but they, good enough. And they said, okay, you're good. We'll keep you on. So they kept me on. And I, I, did, I did that for six years with them. Wow. And, and it was unbelievable. It was just a lot of training. Uh, the one thing I really respect looking back, they never let me work with someone that I didn't have experience in their field or space of what they wanted to work on. Okay. So they didn't just send me clients because there was clients. They sent me people specifically. I had two categories I could work with people on back then. One, um, kind of like weight or health management, mm -hmm. meaning how to set goals and achieve goals around losing weight, being healthy, getting fit. Um, I was five foot nine, two hundred and twenty-five pounds going into high school. So, That's big. That was a pretty big kid. Yeah, yeah. I tried out for football, and they're like, "You're a lineman." I was like, "What's a lineman do?" They're like, "Stand here and make sure people don't get by. You're big. You can do it." I'm like, <laughs> okay. There were bigger kids, but I was a pretty big one at the time. And and then when I graduated high school, a lot changed. I, I got on the sports teams. I learned I loved athletics. And and um at one point I was a B and C student most of my high school years, except for my, my senior year. Uh I became a straight A student. I started running hmm. marathons. Uh, a lot of things changed and a lot of it had to do with me using all the stuff I had been learning. Got it. And being like, wow. Goal setting really works. Having a vision, having clear outcomes, like having measurable activities I'm going to do every day to make performance leaps and all this stuff worked. And I went straight A student, running marathons. Life came together really well at that point. Um, so as I transitioned to that, I was able to work with people on that. The other thing I happened to become really good at over the time was time management. Uh, it, it was something that I was really proficient at. Years later, when I started my own practice um, in, in coaching, um, one of my first clients was a law firm in London, a major law firm. And I worked with them on time management, productivity tips. And it was amazing. We helped them become way more productive than they were prior to working with me. And it was a lot of simple adjustments that just opened up their productivity uh, and helped them perform even better and get even more out of every single day as, as a firm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, that whole, whole journey. I got a couple of questions off that. One is if I want to be a performance coach, how do I get started? Uh, you kind of told your your path, but maybe there are other paths. And then the next question, how can you like really start like getting good at performance coaching? I'm sure the barriers are kind of low. You know, anyone could say I'm a performance coach. So what kind of like helps uh, you set yourself apart? Oh man, we've battled with this for a while now. We actually have, I don't know if you know this, we have a performance coach training program mm -hmm. um, and and we created it because... I ran out of client spaces to help people. 
and I needed more people to help me help people in the coaching capacity. <laughs> cool. And and so I sat down and I was like, okay, if I was going to hire people and internally train them to go do this, what would they need to be proficient at? And I made a list of everything. And that's the curriculum of the course. It turned out uh, people were better students when they paid for it than when we just gave it to them and tried to get them to learn it. Right. So I figured out by putting a price tag on it, people pay more attention and actually take it more seriously. <laughs> I don't know why it works that way. Yeah. A lot of things work that way. It's quite frustrating though, because it's like I've given it as a gift to probably four people and all four of them have not completed the course still no way. four years later from giving it to them. Wow. <laughs> but the people who paid for it, my gosh, they get through it and they believe in it and they use it. Um, so a couple of things. One, in the industry, it's, uh, coaching itself is an unregulated industry right now. Mm-hmm. So there's no government or state or, or regulation that says, here's the test you must pass. Here's the qualification or here's the standard you must uphold to be considered a coach. Uh, it's just anyone can call themselves a coach right now, which if you Google coach certification, there's $20 online coach certifications, which I have no clue how in the world a one-hour training is going to certify you as a coach. Right. And then there's you know university-level two-year degrees that are twenty dollars to $40,000. And I mean, it's a huge set of classes you have to take to really fully graduate with their certificate. Uh-huh. Um, the two things we work through is the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation, and then the BCC, which is the Center for Credentialing and Education, where counselors and therapists go get certified as well. Hmm. And so we use those two accrediting bodies to regulate our program um, so that anyone who comes and works with us in that capacity knows the two accrediting bodies in the U.S. have both said, this has everything in it you need to be successful. Um, Now, that being said, it's totally unregulated still. So mm-hmm. one thing that helps us set ourselves apart is I'm probably an 85 to 90% referral only business, mm-hmm. meaning the majority of all the clients I have have come specifically from referral from other people who've worked with. Wow. Um, I don't have any outside advertisement specifically for one-on-one coaching with me. It's all word of mouth. Mm. And so I look at it and from a business perspective, I didn't do this in the beginning and I wish I would have learned it earlier. But I work with every client with the mindset of if the only way I could ever grow my business was by how well I take care of this client right now and how many people they send back to work with me, what kind of service would I deliver to them? How would I treat them? How would I take care of them? And by having that mindset of if this is my only client, this is my only hope for ever having another client in the future again, how am I going to take care of? What kind of service will I provide to this client right now? And by doing that, um, it, it's been you know the underlying catalyst to growth in my business is I, take, I, I work really hard and take such great care of people that they became the source of all new business for me. So that's really powerful. Do you have like an, an example of um, maybe what you're doing before and then with that mindset, what you did to change? Totally. So when I first started, I was in my own, 23, 24 years old, graduated school. I went into sales for two years out on the road, office to office sales. It was cool. Wasn't what I was meant to do with my life, but it was a great learning experience. It's like those people who sold encyclopedias door to door. Mm -hmm. It's a rough job. You get a lot of life lessons slammed in your face. (laughs) (laughs) You learn a lot about yourself in those two years. But I decided to, to leave that and, and, pursue becoming a coach, pursue opening up my own little coaching practice. So moved into a friend's house in San Diego, 
It was me and three roommates. I lived in the front den. I had a curtain as a door. I had a desk, a little mini trampoline, a, a mini like Ikea plastic closet and a bed. That was my whole room and office where I started. I threw up a website, which was horrible. If you ever go on Wayback Machine and look at my very first website, it'll make you laugh. Okay. It's worth laughing at. I'll take a look. I did it myself. I was proud of it at the time. Black yeah. and white somehow appealed to me back then with a big random tree in the middle of it. Somehow it, I was going to use that to generate business. So a couple of things that, that didn't work was my online marketing skills. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I did was tweet like my life depended on it back then. <laughs> I, I sent out multiple tweets a day, all inspirational messages nonstop. And truthfully, they were messages I would find online that would remind me to keep going. And I was like, if this just helps me keep going, I'm sure it'll help someone else. So I'll just throw okay. it out there. And it worked. It, it created a little bit of traffic for me to my site. Cool. Um, I'd sign up maybe one to three clients a month back then. Now, what really caused my business to grow rapidly, um, a partnership. And there's three pieces that were very important to this partnership. Uh, number one was reach, someone who had reach to the target audience I wanted to reach work with. Uh, mm -hmm. The second piece was know, like, and trust, someone who had already built a relationship with this, this group of people. And then three, a world-class product, which her and I teamed up together to create. And, and in doing that, I went from enrolling one to three coaching clients a month to enrolling like 20 clients in a day. Wow. And that, that's a game changer for your first year in business. That helped me make personally my income within eight months. I'd made over $100,000 in revenue at 24 years old, living in the front end of a house, which was game changing for me at the time. I felt like I was killing it. I mean, I'd made $3,000 a month most months prior to that. And all of a sudden making $100,000 in eight months top line revenue. I'm like, I'm rich. It's yeah, working. Yeah. <laughs> now there's a lot of failure lessons to come not understanding money, not understanding business finance, not understanding a lot of stuff kind of hit me in the face later. But together, her and I generated about $850,000 in revenue within about 16 months of working together. She got to keep most of it because she was the big partner of the deal. But uh, that was a lot. That was a game changer. Yeah. And it came down to that partnership model and there was three pieces. Um, she had a list that she had been building for years of small business owners, specifically in Los Angeles County, who did not have an online presence. Um, and she had 10,000 of them on her list who were active. We created a world-class product, which is teaching them how to create an online presence when they didn't have one. Uh, something as simple as like a flower shop in Beverly Hills that was doing 1.2 million a year in revenue selling flowers, mm -hmm. which I reconsidered if I was in the right business at that moment. <laughs> Should I be selling flowers in Beverly Hills? <laughs> they, they do really well for a flower shop right. without even a website. It's amazing. They have no online orders. It's all walk-in orders. Wow. Um, and I was like, this is amazing. And, and so I, luckily I didn't switch careers at that moment, but we taught them how to do their business online, which they really love. So world-class product had the reach. And then she had built no like, and trust with these people years of just giving tons of valuable content to them through her email list. That created the partnership that just elevated our results very quickly. Uh, now the problem was during that, let's say 18 months or two years, I had acquired 52 one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. Mm-hmm which is way too many for a single coach. Right. And so at that time, I didn't even have the capacity to give the level of service that we give now because, I mean, every 60 minutes on the dot from six in the morning till nine at night, I was on a call for six days a week. It was exhausting. I mean, it was the dream I had in starting mm -hmm. the business of like, maybe I could reach all these people. And then it was also the, the punishment of not understanding business where I was just getting smashed and, and it was difficult to even uphold a good 
level of service with that many clients. And so that's where I really screwed it up is through trying to grow, 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 grow. I hit my revenue numbers. I smashed my goals financially, but my service just started to go down because it was too much for a single coach to handle in that capacity. And so over the years, my gosh, I had one year, just rough numbers year where we decided that I've replayed the same problem in a different format in my own business. I'm surprised I didn't learn it the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided I want to do live events one year. Okay. And so we did 20 events around the world in 20 different cities all over the globe in one year. Holy cow. We did, I mean, we were everywhere. Stockholm, uh, Tokyo, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, LA, New York, all over. It was so cool. We had so much fun. It was like, man, there's people all over the world. We're changing lives. We're having fun. These big, exciting events. When I say big, it was like a 100 to 300 people per city. So it was not huge. But for me, it was big. Yeah. It was a lot. I was so excited to meet all these people. Um, we got done at the end of the year. My accountant sat me down. And he says, so how did you do this year? I'm like, we killed it. It was amazing. He's like, yeah, your numbers don't show that. Uh-huh. I was like, what are you talking about? We made more money than we've ever made in the entire business, like ever in one year. He's like, you also spent more money than you've ever spent in your business an entire year. And I was like, what? And he goes, I don't know how to say this nicely. If you would have stood home and stared at the wall all year, you'd be about $30,000 richer than you are right now. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, that was not the nicest way to say it. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, buddy, you just paid 30 grand this year to go on your, your road trip around the world to go help people. You, may, you paid 30,000 to participate. Like that was an expensive trip. You should have left it in the bank and just stared at the wall all year and you would have made more money. <laughs> I was like, you're not a very good accountant. I mean, you're good at numbers. You're just mean at telling people what's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough reality to, to hear. It hurt. And, and that became my quest to be like, okay, I need to find a mentor who really knows business finance and numbers because I need to go learn this because obviously I am wildly an amateur in this part of my business. And I didn't know that I just didn't know what I didn't know. I never went to school for business. I went to school for psychology. And so I never learned the business of business. And I, I went and found a mentor and he started teaching me just the basics, the difference between profit and revenue, which sounds simple. Yeah. Uh, but then profit is a myth. Cash is a truth. And he started to show me the difference between profit and cash. Mm. There's some businesses that can show you know, $10 million in profit and go out of business. And you're like, how in the world did they go out of business if they have $10 million in profit? It's like, well, all their profit was being held in inventory and or accounts receivable, mm-hmm. which means they have no cash, which means they can't pay their bills. You can't pay your bills in profit. You can yeah. only pay your bills in cash. And I'm like, oh, we need cash. And he's like, well, there's three types of cash. I was like, well, this is getting complicated. I'm pretty sure there's only one type of cash, like different currencies. Right. He's like, no, there's I cash, O cash, and F cash. I'm like, what in the world is this guy talking about? There's investing cash, there's operating cash, and financing cash. And I'm like, oh my God, I thought there was one type of cash my whole life. <laughs> and so he started explaining some of these details to me and like light bulbs were exploding, like not even lighting up, but just play up like, because I didn't even realize this stuff existed in the business world, which I'm sure if anyone on here is their MBA or is listening, who's a seasoned finance or business person, this is amateur hour. Sure. But I was a small business owner who definitely was an amateur in this category of my business. And it's something I desperately needed to learn that I didn't even know I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the stuff that can really hit you and hurt you extremely bad in business. It's 
it, it's not what you know you don't know. It's the step beyond that. Like, I don't even know that's a thing. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know. I didn't know that there were three types of cash in business. Like, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know it existed to not know that I didn't know. It sounds confusing, but that'll really jack you up in business. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hidden things that you just don't even comprehend that exist. And so having someone, and this has been one of the saving graces of our business multiple times, I've been studying now for six going on seven years with a gentleman who's been buying and selling businesses for over 40 years. Hmm. And, and I've been learning from him business because yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a business guy. I was a coach. And so by, by studying and learning business, I mean, last year we applied everything we learned with them. And in Q1 of last year, we made more profit than the entire 12 months of the year prior. Wow. We were like, holy smokes. We had 42% growth last year, which was unbelievable. Um, luckily, knock on wood, even with this chaos in the world, we seem to be holding steady right now. We're not growing, mm-hmm. but we're not going down. We're wow. holding steady as a company, which is honestly, I call it a win right now. Yeah, I think that's uh, totally, totally a win. <laughs> yeah, so we grow 42% last year and now we're just able to sustain at the same level, which is cool for us. I mean, we're trying to figure out how to grow, but right now stability is is a good good thing. I think so. I, I absolutely agree with that. You kind of you, you just touched on on a, a business mentor of yours. Do you have any other mentors that have played a big role in your life? So many, so many. So I'm trying to remember how long ago, probably 11, 12 years ago, I sat down and had this idea. I was looking at other friends who were like working on their masters or some of their PhD. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like there there would literally become a doctorate level understanding of whatever topic they were studying. And I remember asking him the question, I'm like, what would I want to have that level of comprehension of in life? Like Mm. if I could really at a doctorate level understand something in life, what would it be? And the first category that popped into my mind was relationships. Mm. I was like, well, that'd be cool. Like to have a doctorate level of understanding of intimate relationships, how they work, what what breaks them, what makes them, what what causes someone to be a disaster or a master of them. You know, what, what are the fundamental science-backed things that you could learn about this? And so for the last 12 years, I've been studying, researching, and applying everything I could get my hands on about relationships. Luckily, I met my wife five years into it, um, and her and I for the last six years have been doing it together. And, and it's amazing. Like We understand why something frustrates us. We understand how to communicate through it. We understand how to reconnect and rebuild after it. Like, by understanding the tools, it doesn't make it any easier. You just know what to do when it happens. Right. So we did that. Um, six years ago, when I met my wife, uh, she was working on her MBA. And so she loved business. So one thing I promised her was that we would study business together. So for six years now, we've been studying and researching with this mentor specifically around business. I'm like, that's really cool. And, and so we're, you know, we've done our PhD in relationships. So we got that one. We're still studying it and learning it though. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on it now in business. We're, we're six years into our, you know, at least minimum 10 to 12 year journey here. And it's amazing when you, when you commit to that level of study and practice and learning and application, it's amazing the results you see, but it's never overnight. I mean, 10 years is a good chunk of life. Right. Um, and, and by really committing at that level of, of dedication, you see unbelievable results. So some of the mentors, um, Alison Armstrong was one in relationships that was incredibly useful for us. She has a couple books on the stages of development for men and women and what they go through and how much responsibility they're able to take on at each stage, which is mm-hmm. super useful. 
uh, one of her books that was really helpful for me was Amazing Development of Men. So mm-hmm. how men develop and what they're capable or able to take on at every major stage of their life. Interesting. Uh, Gottman University uh, or, or Gottman.com. They're, they're a, a husband and wife therapist who've done 30 years of research on 3,000 couples in a laboratory setting to figure out what works and what doesn't. And so they, they came up with seven things, no matter race, background, religion, pairing type, uh, preference, all this stuff. If these seven things are present, the relationship tends to do extraordinarily well. If these seven things are missing or violated, the relationship tends to fall apart almost immediately. And I was like, wow, that's useful to know. Yeah. And, and so those two were game changers there. In business, um, a few people. One, Keith Cunningham is the gentleman we've been studying with for, for the past six years. He's phenomenal. He's been buying and selling businesses for 40 years. Um, he's, he's getting older. So we, we've joined every level of program he has to try to learn as much as humanly possible before he ever slows down or stops. Mm-hmm. He's a game changer in understanding business. Um, another person, it's a little bit different because it's the evolution of uh, you know, business operator to business owner to business investor. On the investor side, Howard Marks is unbelievable. There was an endorsement written by Warren Buffett that says, when Howard Marks releases a memo, I stop everything to go read it. Wow. I was like, damn, I'd love Warren to say that about me for something. Like, what can I write that Warren's going to stop everything and come check it out? <laughs> yeah. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's a, quite the, uh, the accolade there. Yeah. That's like the king of all endorsements right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it gets any better. Like that's pretty up there for business finance stuff. And so this gentleman, he's an investor and he, he wrote a book called The Greatest Thing Illuminated. It's such a useful read as far as understanding investing in businesses. And so that's something that's become of interest to us over the years as we've learned how to grow them, build them, fix them, fine tune them, rearrange them. It's like, oh, now we have the opportunity to kind of, as, as our capital increases and our, our time can somehow be leveraged through the systems and processes of the organization, it freezes, up to, frees us up to be able to go purchase another business and, and use that leverage and use the business as an asset. Um, oftentimes, you know, we were talking to, to a few groups who were considering selling their business and let's say they could pull out one, you know, one of my clients said she could sell her, her business and pull out $6 million. Uh, currently that business she has is a group of, um, apartment buildings she owns and it, it yields $600,000 a year. Hmm. So she's looking at it, you know, a 10 X multiple. And if she does that, she's like, Oh, I have $6 million. And my question is where in the world can you invest $6 million? to get 600,000 a year back. Hmm. Yeah. I haven't been able to identify anything that would be an intelligent investment, which is probably the asterisk. Right. I'm sure there's something you could do that'd be a little crazy, but there's no real intelligent, you know, safe place you could put $6 million and yield off $600,000 a year. It doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, her keeping her business and continuing to optimize it has better returns than anything the market could provide. Yeah, that's a very good point. And so like if she's able to now do that three or four times, she can now grow her asset, grow her cash flow, which is really what she's after. And it's amazing. Now, at some point in the future, she can sell her portfolio. But for right now, I mean, she's only like 30 something years old. There's not a lot of places you can put that money that's going to give her the ability to have that kind of yield. It doesn't make any sense. And so that's kind of the next mentor advisor is that Howard Marks guy where now it's looking at it not only as my business that I've learned how to fine tune and optimize, but now from the investment standpoint, is there anything else I could do with this asset that would 
be able to provide more cash flow for myself and family to take care of the ones we love. Yeah, I love I love that mindset of taking your business and then and then moving into the next level of of an investment mindset. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki talks about it in the Rich Dad Poor Dad stuff, like the four quadrants. Yep, that's what I'm thinking in my head. <laughs> yeah, it's so useful. It's it's a nice evolution, but also where I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> these are oftentimes more useful than where we did it right. Uh, trying to jump to the next box before you've really, really mastered the box you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so often I see people who hate their job and decide they want to go start a business because they just don't like working all day at their job. And then they start a business and land up having to work twice as many hours per day just to get the business alive. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Was it that you had a deep desire to serve others, you put your client in the middle and built a business around serving their needs at the highest level, or was it you hated your job and were trying to find an escape? Because now you just doubled the amount of work you have just so you can call yourself an owner. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times, I've also had this kind of kick in the face where I, I had someone sit me down based on the amount of profit I was earning and said, hey, you'd make more money if you just went and got a job somewhere and you'd have a lot less risk than you do right now. Again, one of those not fun accounting conversations back in the day where I was like, oh, why would you say that? <laughs> but it's true. You know, if I would have stood at a job and, and took an income of 35000 for the year, I would have been up 35000 that year instead of down 30000 that year. Right. And it seems so simple, but, you know, there's a freedom feeling inside of my skeleton that's like, I must be free. I must own my business. <laughs> but the truth is, if it was, absolutely monetarily based, it would have been more intelligent to have a job than have my own business in that case. But once I learned how to master the business side of it and do some the partnership piece, um, take care of my clients as if they were the only source of business I will ever have, as, some, as each one of these little puzzle pieces fell into place, unbelievable growth happened and, and very high profitability with it as well. Wow. I love it. I love it all. So I kind of wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit. And you're a psychology major. So I kind of want to get into your psychology on how you approach something, because I think it's something that people deal with uh, around the world. So your dad is kind of in a similar industry. Oh, yeah. Tony Robbins. He's very good at what he does. and He's been doing it for a long time. And he's set the bar really high. And I think a lot of people, uh, like the masses, you might feel like they're setting that same type of expectation on you. And I'm just wondering how you tackle that and handle that and like what your, what goes on in your head to like, you know, not let that get to you. Sure. Um, so there's a couple of, it's a great question. It's a very fair question. The, the piece that exists, um, I was doing a lot of research and studying and learning in psychology. And th- there's three foundational things every person must be able to say yes to, to where they stop needing an outside source to then feel whole. And so the three things are the ability to say, I am enough, I have enough, and I'm loved enough. Like if we can't say yes to those three phrases, we usually get some very peculiar behavior out of humans who, if you ever see someone acting very weird or mean or aggressive or ugly in some way, Hmm. it's usually because they don't feel like they are enough, they have enough, or they're loved enough, and now they're fighting for it through their behavior in society. And so there were times certainly growing up when I would compare myself and I'd be like, wow, I am not enough because look at him and look at me. 
clearly I'm not there yet. So that means I'm not enough. And the only place I was not enough is in my own head, which is where a lot of people struggle. Um, I don't have enough. You know, one of the greatest gifts he gave me was one, I will help you through school. That is a huge gift. A lot of people do not get access to first off. That was a huge gift he gave me. Uh, But then he said, here's the second gift. The moment you graduate, you're 100% on your own. And we have one rule when it comes to money. Don't ask. (laughs) I was like, oh, don't ask for a lot. Like, what's the rest of that phrase? (laughs) He's like, no, no, don't ask. And you ain't getting it. Like, you'll get a Christmas gift. You'll get a birthday gift. Besides that, like, I'm not a bank. I'm not a source for you to come get money from. Now, looking back, I'm like, thank goodness he did that because I would have never had to figure stuff out. Yeah. You know, I would have never had to figure out where the heck the money is going to come from for rent if you don't budget appropriately. Like where the heck you're going to, you know, if you want something, you got to work your face off and save like crazy. Um, I used to have the envelope method where I would take envelopes and I'd put like trip to and I'd pick a city I want to go to. And every week when I'd get paid, I'd take a little money and like put my $5 in the envelope. And uh, that simple exercise is unbelievably valuable because it teaches you how to get what you want based on your own effort, not based on, you know, if dad likes you this week or not kind of stuff. And so it gives you self-reliance and self and mental emotional resiliency of how to create what you want and how to realize, hey, I was $2 away from my trip and my tire popped and well, I got to use the trip money kind of stuff. Like that's that. And, and you're not disappointed. You just go, that's the way life is. Thank goodness I had it instead of not having it. Those are very, very simple things that, that I think we rob each other of if we don't let young people go through those moments in life. If, if every time they sneeze and you go, here you go, honey, and just throw money at them, they don't get to figure it out. They don't get to learn it. And the most important thing that dad looked back and he told me, he's like, the one thing I really wanted you to have as a gift for me to you, as silly as it sounds, is the ability to be resilient and reliant on yourself. The ability to not need anyone else or anything else in the world. I had come up with a story when I was very young that said, you know what? I want to study skills about life that you could pick me up out of the community I live in. You could take me anywhere in the world, pluck me down without knowing a soul around me. And within a couple of days, be adding so much value to society around me that I'd easily have a place to stay, easily have food, easily have shelter, easily be adding value to society. Within 30 days, I'd be up and running, have a full on business. And I'd be able to not only take care of my own needs and my family's needs, but I'd be able to massively benefit the community around me as well and, and be able to you know, financially prosper from that at, at a big level. And I remember having that thought and saying, what would the skills be that I would need to start learning now to be able to have that freedom? Because I think that's a real freedom. You can go anywhere in the world with total certainty and say, hey, I could land here without a job, without knowing anybody and be up and running within weeks or days. And, and so those were skills I studied from a young age of what other tool might I need to learn right now? Yeah. Coming back to that thought though, help me through school, cut it off at that point. Let me go figure out life on my own. And, and so as I was figuring things out, I mean, I was living in the, I went from having my own little apartment in school to living in the front end of a house with three roommates. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I kind of downgraded when I graduated, right. yeah. which was fine. Yeah. Totally normal. It's a normal life stage that happens. Yeah. Uh, well, first I upgraded. I took a corporate sales job where I got a corporate apartment with a corporate phone and a corporate car and corporate travel, all this stuff. And then when I quit, then I severely downgraded from an even nicer apartment to the front end of a house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a good drop there. Yeah. Um, but it was a beautiful drop. Before that happened, I had taken a trip when I was in school around the world a semester at sea, which is a very cool, mm-hmm. very, very cool experience. 
Um, when I crossed paths with East Africa, it just called to my heart to go help because I saw people living in like mud huts and villages. And I'm like, man, there's no reason I need to be at school in San Diego studying psychology when there's someone out there hurting that I have the capacity to help. Yeah, wow. And so I packed up my bags, I joined a nonprofit, and I literally flew back to Uganda and I went and lived in the rural farming villages and taught organic farming for three months. And it was one of the coolest experiences of my entire life. It changed my whole life. And what it helped reset was when I was young, 15 years old, watching music videos growing up, uh, my favorite music video used to be Hypnotized by Biggie Small and Puff Daddy. Okay, yeah. I thought it was so cool. Like boats, yachts, helicopters, cars, motorcycles. It was the coolest. Not, and, and so having enough as a kid was like, man, if I could aspire to have some of that, I'd really be living then. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I lived mostly with my mom, but my dad, he grew up dirt poor with nothing, like didn't even have food on Thanksgiving kind of nothing. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to have something in life. So he worked his face off and he's done extraordinarily well in his life. And, and he's, you know, earned all the things he has, but he has some really nice stuff. So I also saw it on the music video. I saw it in real life on dad. And I'm like, man, I need to earn some stuff. Got it. Um, uh, living in a village in Uganda for three months, I remember coming home and look, like, looking in my closet, just my clo little closet I had. I took a trash bag and I put probably 90% of all my stuff in a bag and took it down to the homeless shelter. I'm like, hey, I, I don't need this. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need any stuff. I'm, I'm good. While I was in Uganda, I got malaria twice. And at one point, the doctor was trying to scare me into taking the medicine. So he told me I had potentially had six days left to live. Wow. And after coming home from that, being like, not only do I not need stuff to feel like I have enough, all I need is my health, man. Mm -hmm. I can breathe and walk and see, and I don't have you know, vertigo and I'm not throwing everything up all the time. Like, if I have my health, I have enough. I crossed paths just a couple of years ago with this young woman named Kayla, uh, who she has this beautiful channel uh, website on Instagram and Facebook. It's Fight to Breathe. Okay. She was born with cystic fibrosis. Mm. And, you know, when she was young, her lungs stopped working. So they cut her open, opened her up, took out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, double lung transplant. And, and it was working. She was breathing. Um, she came out of the hospital. Things were good. Went and met a boy, fell in love, got married told him like, Hey, there's a chance my lungs might stop again sometime in my life. He's like, that's okay. I love you. Sure enough. So many years later, had a crazy intense seizure and her lungs just stopped working. Rushed back to the hospital and the ho same hospital who helped her the first time said that, you know, if the lungs didn't work, there's nothing we can do. We can't just keep putting new lungs in. So you should probably go on hospice and just kind of live out the rest of your days the way it is. She went home crying and was like, I didn't fight this hard to stay alive to give up now. So her and her husband landed up writing a letter to a hundred different hospitals saying, can you help me? Mm. Uh, four wrote back and one said, we'll try, come on over UCLA in, in Los Angeles. So she went there, kept her alive on a machine. Um, lo and behold, you know, so many days later, they're like, we got a match. Uh, they took her into surgery, cut her open again, cracked her open, pulled out the lungs, put in the new lungs, sewed her back up. The next day I interviewed her husband. He said, the next day when she woke up, she had a tube down her throat. She can't say anything, but she can write. So she was asking for something to write. And as she was scribbling on the pad to, to write something to him, he said, I saw the biggest smile on my wife's face that I've ever seen in my entire life. He said, I wish I could say that our wedding day, she had a bigger smile, but I would be lying because it's not true. Wow. And when she turned the board around, it says, I can breathe. And I remember thinking, wow, wow. 
And, you know, I, I thought like, oh my God, this is amazing. So many days later, they had to rush her back into surgery for open heart surgery because apparently she started getting fluid in her, in her heart. And I remember there was a picture. I'll show it to you. For those listening, you won't be able to see it. But, you know, for those, they see the video. Yeah. There's this picture. It's the most beautiful picture I've seen. And it's her directly after surgery. I'll, I'll hold it up here so you can see. She is so happy. Yeah. So, I mean, this young woman has this giant smile on her face, thumbs up. Stitches straight down the middle of her chest, tubes coming straight out of her body, draining the blood, you know, the, the fluid out of her heart. Unbelievable. And I remember sitting down at that moment and thinking about that if any of us have the ability on our own willpower to go and fill our lungs with air, hmm. my goodness, we have more than enough. If our heartbeat, whether it's a pacemaker or our actual heart, if our heart is beating and pumping blood through our body, my goodness, we have more than enough. Yeah. But I think sometimes we need reminders like this beautiful human to show up in our life with a big ass smile on our face and two thumbs up right after surgery and remind us what enough really is. Because, you know, I clearly had a skewed perspective thanks to MTV as a kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's enough. You know, Biggie Smalls and P. Diddy, like that's, that's to aspire something in life, as silly as that sounds. Uh, but a village in Africa completely changed my perspective on just, man, if I could just be healthy, that'd be great. And then this young woman radically changed my perspective of like, if I can breathe and my heart beats, I got more than enough to do good life with. That's powerful. You know, I, I think that story actually is uh, your story of, of malaria, but then also this, this uh, lady's story of getting new lungs and, and, being thankful for just being able to have some health and be able to breathe is really relevant right now because we're you nowhere know, in the, this lockdown state of coronavirus. And um, I imagine a lot of people out there are uh, worried about themselves and then also worried about their businesses. Totally. You know, I think you're uniquely positioned to give some good advice there. So first off, for, you know, average person, Maybe it's a student about to graduate and go into a, a world that's a recession, uh, or maybe someone uh, is fearful they're going to lose their job. Like, what's some type of like action item that someone can walk away with this podcast and uh, maybe feel a little bit better? Sure, I'll give you a few real quick. So, if we imagine a little triangle and we put fear in the middle, fear lives in three places. So, the three sides of the triangle: fear lives in the mind, fear lives in the emotions, and fear lives in the physical body, like the nervous system. Okay. Uh, most of us try to handle fear in the mind. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm positive. People like me. I'm good looking. And my God, I'm going to succeed in life. That's great. But if your nervous system is feeling fear, it doesn't matter how much you say that. It's not going to change what you do or how you actually physically respond to the situation. I would say if there's a bear behind you growling and you say, I'm positive and people like me, it's not going to, you're just going to become a positive snack that he ate that day. Right. Like, it ain't going to change anything. <laughs> um, but if you, if you can shift your body, the physical nervous system, if you can shift it, you feel different. And if you feel different, you react different. And so the first thing I always tell people is two things. Uh, three minute ice cold shower every day. That will knock the fear right out of you. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever stepped into an ice cold shower. It hits you and you go, <gasps> yep. you can't breathe. You can't think. And my God, you feel no fear. <laughs> I, I make that exact sound every single time. That's right. It just get it knocks it right out of you. That's mm -hmm. an aggressive way to get rid of fear. Just right out of there. Three minutes is the cold. Um, somewhere between 60 and 90 seconds, it feels as if the water gets warmer. 
It's actually your adrenals firing off, which is making your body and mind more resilient to the day. So it's going to physically make you more confident and stronger in yourself just by getting the adrenals to fire properly. Mm. So that three-minute mark is the goal. Uh, also, you will never hear your brain lie to you more than it trying to convince you that 10 seconds has been three minutes in cold water. Right. <laughs> my brain has come up with more excuses to try to get out of the cold water than I've ever heard in my whole life. It's totally been three minutes. The timer's broken. Your, your thing failed. Come on, just get out. <laughs> it fights to get out of that water. But my goodness, it's good for you. So three-minute ice cold shower, two caveats, pregnancy or heart problems. Do not do that. Okay. Uh, but, but if your heart's good and you're not pregnant, three-minute ice cold shower. Second, breathing. I have a friend of mine. She's a world-renowned biofeedback specialist in New York City. Uh, she works with all the top hedge fund guys, all the, the pro athletes, pro golfers, all these people. And th there's a breathing pattern you can train yourself to do each day. Um, the simplest app I found that's free is Breathe. It's just a little circle. Uh, you set it to four seconds in and eight seconds out. And you do it 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night for 10 weeks every day. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it recalibrates your nervous system to calm. Okay. And so what happens is if, if you're calibrated to calm, when something crazy happens, your heart rate will naturally come up and within two or three breaths, you'll come right back down to calm and be able to navigate it intelligently. Uh, if you're not, your heart rate will go up, it'll stay up and you will not be able to intelligently navigate. When your fight or flight kicks in and your heart rate jumps over 95 beats a minute when you're just sitting still, um, it cuts off access to your prefrontal cortex, which is your ability to make intelligent, logical decisions. Mm -hmm. So you start making emotional and dumb decisions in that moment. Hence why most people have way too much toilet paper in their house right now. <laughs> so you're going to need to recalibrate your nervous system to calm by using your breath every day. 20 minutes, four seconds in, eight seconds out, follow the little app. You breathe in when the circle gets big, you breathe out when the circle gets small. It's really easy. Um, so that's one in the body. Two, um, fear exists in the emotions. We feel emotionally whatever we focus on. If you think of a time in your life when someone punched you really hard in the gut, it'll probably make you feel a way you don't like. If you think of your time in your life when you felt incredibly loved, appreciated, and honored in a relationship, you probably feel a lot better than a punch in the gut. And all we're doing, we're, you haven't changed anything except for you're listening to this. You've just changed where your focus is. And by changing your focus, you're changing how you're feeling in your body in that moment. Uh, now, one thing we might want to do is list what are the top five emotions you would like to feel more of every day? What are the top five emotions that would be very useful in a time like this right now? What are the top five emotions that would make you feel stronger, happier, healthier, or more fulfilled, or at least more grounded in times like this? Uh, let's just say they're love, joy, courage, and creativity. We might ask something like, where's the love in this moment right now? And if our brain goes nowhere, we go, okay, brain, where could the love be in this moment right now? And we keep looking for it until we notice it. And all of a sudden, you notice two birds outside flirting with each other that you never saw until now. You say, you know, where's the courage in this moment? And you're like, I don't know. I'm kind of scared. Okay, where have I been courageous in my life? What was the moment I felt incredibly courageous in my past that I can go back to right now and feel that way again? You know, where's the creativity in this moment right now? I don't know. Well, what could I do to be creative right now? And all of a sudden, your brain and body find it. By asking powerful questions, it changes how we feel. Third part is in the mind. Whatever you feed your mind right now, again, you're not only going to feel it, but you're going to act on it and behave that way. And you're going to believe it, which is even deeper. And so one thing that's really useful to do right now is many people are struggling 
if we look back in history towards really, really catastrophic moments, specifically, let's say the U.S., we might look at the Great Depression, and we might go back and read stories of people who not only survived through that time, but thrived at an unbelievable level. I remember I ran across a story of a real estate investor who turned a $4 million net worth into $160 million over the six-year period of the Great Depression. Wow. I would be like, if he turned four into eight, I'd be impressed. Four into 12, unbelievable. Four into 32, unreal. Four into 160. In today's money, that's 66 million into 3.3 billion over the six worst years of economic plight in the US. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Unbelievable. I'm reading stories like that like crazy right now. Not because I'm obsessed with money, because my God, I want to train my brain to try to find opportunities like that. And if it's looking for them, if it's familiar what they sound like from before, or what they taste like, or what the flavor of them might have been back then, it might be able to see something different but similar now. And again, if all I did was take $1,000 and turn it into 10, I could help a lot more people with that extra $9,000 right now. I could provide a lot more meals for people in need. It's something my wife and I love to do. Um, we find organizations, and th this would be an interesting comparison. Uh, we do it locally where we provided, you know, 30 meals last week for families in need around us in our city. And someone went and made them and took bags of food to people who couldn't afford food. Um, this is where dad definitely does way more than we do, but mm -hmm. equally we're all helping. Uh, he yeah. made a commitment, I think it was six years ago, to provide 100 million meals a year through Feed America. Wow. And his goal is 10 years to, buy, to provide a billion meals to, mm -hmm. to people around the U.S. And he's, I believe, six years in, and they've provided over 500 million meals over the last five years. And so that's something I would love to be able to compete with them on. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. We're way off. Right. But I don't think it's, in that case, you know, that's just inspiration to me. That's saying, wow, if this dude went from homeless living in the back of a car to being able to help that many people, my God. God, I'm going to work my face off during my life to figure out if I can help lots of people like that too. Now, I might never get to his number, but it becomes a North Star of what's possible for me to say, hey, if that's what's possible, my gosh, I want to move closer to that each day. Doesn't mean he's perfect. It's just one of those parts of him that's beautiful that I'd love to aspire towards each day. Yeah, that is beautiful. I think it's beautiful you're, you're striving to it. Another factor for current state right now are business owners. You know, we have we have restaurants and salons and everything that can't operate either at all or how they normally do business. And you have I found this uh, the small business survival kit. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and what small business owners could be doing to to get through this time and hopefully look for opportunities. Totally. Uh, so this this broke my heart. I started getting texts and emails from friends and family members and clients saying, "Hey." I had to shut the physical doors of my business this week. We were already in a tight spot. I don't know if we're going to be able to survive this chaos. Like I'm pretty sure I'm about to lose my whole business, which is how they put food on the table and take care of their families. And, and I just got too many of those to not do something about it. And I was like, okay, let me sit down for a second. I work with a lot of business owners. I've worked with them for 16 plus years now. I've learned through mistakes a lot about business <laughs> and how, how to do it, how to navigate crazy times. Um, I also started my business in 2009 when the economy was getting stomped on anyway. So yeah. that's all I knew when I started. I didn't know there was a good time. I just knew this time and how to make it now. Right. Uh, luckily, 
I, I think it's better to start in the middle of chaos than it is to start when times are good um, because you learn how to do it when it's hard. And if you can do it well when it's hard, my goodness, you could do it even better when it's easy. Mm. But if you only learn how to do it when it's easy, when it gets hard, you get smacked around real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sat down and I said, well, what can they do right now? And I'll give you a few of the tidbits. Um, first thing, I, I, I said, we have to learn how to protect and we got to protect certain things immediately. Number one, we got to protect our oxygen in our business. You can survive three day, you know, 30 days without food, three, day, three or four days without water. Um, you can only survive like three to six minutes without oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so what is the oxygen for business? And oxygen for business is operating cash. Operating cash is how you pay your bills, how you pay your team, how you keep things running. And so uh, the first thing I said is you got to take your, your P&L or you got to take your, your billing statements or your credit card statements, however you do it in your business. And you got to take three highlighters. Uh, a green, you're going to highlight anything that you absolutely must keep, you cannot do without. In yellow, uh, highlight things that you might be able to do without, but you might want to keep for right now and maybe a date in which you need to recheck to see if it's still a smart idea to keep it. And then in red, this is the why in the world have we even been paying this in the first place? This should have never been on our P&L. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and we've been doing this for a few weeks now, every Friday, and we've had people save between $3,000 off their year expense for 2020. Um, one, one lady was able to save $3,000 a month. Another lady was able to save $5,400 a month off her, off her expenses doing that exercise. Uh, that's roughly $60,000 for the year she's going to save just through that simple exercise right there, right back in her account because she figured out what was in the red, immediately went and negotiated to cut it off. Yeah. Um, the biggest one I've ever had was the law firm in London. Uh, they were able to save $50,000 a month, which came out to 600000 for the year, just using that literal exercise, which took them about an hour and a half to do as a company. Wow. And, and so it's amazing what you can get back from that simple exercise. And that's step one, like conserve your cash. Two, you got to protect your core clients. Now, your core clients are the foundation of your business. They're your regular people who you count on them and they count on you. They love your service. They come in every week or month or whatever time frame they use you. Uh, you love them. You, you know, their income provides the base and foundation of your company. And so you depend on each other and you got to figure out what can you do for them right now, even though it might not be the same as normal, that, that really meets their needs, wants, and desires. And so we might w- say, what do they need, want, and desire? And then how do they need it, want it, and desire it? And how can you as a business owner bring it to them better than you've ever brought it to them before to serve them at a level way beyond what you've ever delivered before. And if you can do that, many of them will stay your core clients and continue if possible to pay for whatever service they can, even when everything's shut down. And they will give you the foundational funds to just keep the base alive until we make it through the chaos. Um, So core clients, cash. Third one is community, your team. I mean, these are the people who they put their, their time, their effort, their life into helping you build your business. And, and you provided them you know, job and, and way to pay their bills. And they provided you their service to help create this whole business you have. And there's kind of two categories here. Number one, who are the absolute necessary people who you cannot let go of? Like they are the backbone of your company. If they disappear, my gosh, it's going to take way too long and too much money to put them back in place. Who are the people you have to keep no matter what? Who are the people who you might need to transition them? You might need to help them find another home for right now. Mm-hmm. now. If you do this, I saw something on the news where it warmed my heart and broke my heart at the same time. 
It was a gentleman who owned 46 locations around the US who had 4,000 employees he had to let go of all at once. And to him, he had hired majority of them himself. He said it felt like trying to fire a family. It broke his heart. Mm-hmm. He had tears in his eyes talking about it. He said he did something very beautiful before letting any of them go. They created a highlight card, which says their name, you know, their, their current focus of their job, their performance, current performance level, a little endorsement from the company of, of who they are, their top strengths, uh, their top couple, couple core values based on their behavior of what they value most. Um, and, and, you know, just, just a highlight card you imagine, which is like you go to a video game, it tells you, you know, the batting average of this person and the fielding and the whatever stats it is. It's like a stats card for an employee. And then they help shop their employees on their email list, on their social media to help them find other places where their talent is specifically needed right now. They could hop over to and keep going without just being fired. Right. I was like, what a generous thing to do right now if you have to let some of your team members go to, to create this little highlight card for them and help them take that next step. I was like, how cool is that for such a not cool thing to have to do? Yeah, that's really cool. Other side, team you're going to keep. If you let them go home and stare at the news for the next three weeks, I don't think they're going to be a real good version of themselves when they come back to work all freaking wigged out because of the, you know, being scared by the news every day. Like, you know, if they don't do something productive, they're going to lose their edge. And so that we, we got to create kind of a high performance kit, you know, everyone on the team, but specifically the ones you want to come back because you want them coming back at their best. Yeah. So physically, mentally, emotionally, what can you put together for them as kind of a plan that they could be doing every day while at home? Not mandatory, it's totally optional, but a guide that says, hey, here's some suggested stuff you could do and we'll support you as a company in doing it. And my goodness, if they do it, you're going to get them back happier, healthier, stronger, and more fulfilled than they've ever been before they ever left. And it's like, you know, why not help your team become superhuman so when they return, you, you got a mighty team coming back to work instead of when they return, they're completely burnt out and exhausted mentally and emotionally and physically because they sat at home and did nothing the whole time they were there. So you need that high performance kind of kit or draft for your team, how to put that together and roll it out and, and incentivize it so people are excited to try this out while they're at home. Um, so that's one piece. That's protect. We have two other pieces we focus on, which is how to pivot, how to take something that used to work that might be causing you to become a sinking ship right now because mm-hmm. you're holding on so tight to it and it's starting to sink and you're sinking with it. How to chop those things, twist them a little, uh, get a minimum viable product and pivot to the point where we've shifted a little and all of a sudden it becomes a rocket ship. So like, how do we make that pivot happen, which is a very common term right now in business practice. Yep. Uh, and the third is um, profit or I deal with a lot of heart-centered people, so prosper. <laughs> you say profit, and they're like, ugh, prosper. Okay, that sounds good. So mm-hmm. depending whatever word you can use, you can do it. But, but how do you profit right now? How do you bring something to life that has unbelievable traction in the marketplace? Um, I'll give you a simple example, if I could find a little picture real quick. There was this young Boy Scout who, it says, make a clever Boy Scout invents 3D printer ear guard to erase mask pain for healthcare workers. I saw that. He 3D printed all these little pieces of plastic. And my God, he brought something to the market that just booms. How do we find the market need right now? How do we create the right partnerships to get quick lift? How do we niche down to the real specific place we need to focus? So we're not trying to help everyone do everything, but we get real specific on our promise and we absolutely deliver. Um, and, and then how do we put together a pitch around it so that it absolutely lands and, and has magnet, magnetic 
qualities to it. So people want to grab onto it and go with it. So those are the kind of three things. What do we got to protect? You know, our cash, our, our community and our, our core clients. What do we got to pivot and shift? And we have steps in there too. And then what do we got to uh, profit with? And what can we bring to market? And how can we do that quickly if we want to? Yeah, that, uh, that, that was, uh, I love that. You went, went super into the details there and it's definitely actionable. Um, where can people find that? Um, so it's jerickrobbins.com forward slash SOS. Okay. I've, I've, I've never gotten to use SOS on my short <laughs> links, but I figured now's the moment. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and, and it's totally free, right? Yep. So it's a nine week series. Um, we, we've on our fourth week this week of doing it. So there's a group on week one, there's a group on week two, a group on week three, a group on week four, absolutely free for nine weeks. Um, I, I do, we, we created like a, a mastermind support group after that people can go check out if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I do literally a three minute, here's what's included in that. If you want it, go for it, but don't do it unless you're really in a good position right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is my disclaimer. Yeah. We will not <laughs> let you sign up unless you're in a great position. <laughs> this is not about taking money off people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Like for everyone else, stay in this group. It's a nine week series. We're going to keep repeating it every nine weeks. And our goal is that if we can walk you and get you to do each one of those three things and protect, pivot, and profit, um, it'll help you survive this chaos. And, and that's kind of a you know, personal heart thing for me to a lot of friends and family who needed help. Um, and I, I think it's also a way to invest right now in people and their businesses to help support them through chaos. And when things come back, I don't know, maybe one of them will reach out and want to work with me in a different capacity because we were able to serve them when they really needed it. Totally. Uh, I think that's, I think that's powerful. And I think, I hope that, uh, it comes back to you and, and, uh, helps benefit, uh, your business. But I think, you know, regardless, I know, you know, you are, uh, you value giving back so much. And I think this is definitely one form of doing it with the skills you have. It's amazing. And it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's just, we've been studying this for six years and we're kind of just pouring forward what we know works and what we've used ourselves and what we think could be really helpful and useful, like right now in this moment. Right. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, I'm going to transition into the rapid fire. Let's do it. First one is, do you have a mantra? Uh, learn it, live it, give it. Okay. Awesome. Learn what it takes to give the life you want. Live it, fully apply everything you learn and live the life you want to live. And then when you figure it out, pay it forward, give it, share it with other people and help them do the same. Cool. Thank you. Um, what has been the best investment of your time? Uh, deciding to put my wife as my most important value and priority every day. And choosing to love her above everything else in life um, each and every day with all my heart. That's beautiful. When you were graduating, what were your expectations? Oh man, I had no clue. It was a funky transition because I had got back from living in a village in Africa and going around the world on a, on a ship a semester at sea. And then I came back and had the, I think I had a whole semester left to finish school. Or I think I had a year left, two semesters. And so all my friends had graduated. Um, I kind of was just finishing school and then I had to figure out what the heck I was going to do next from there. So I, I didn't really have firm expectations. I just knew I wanted to help people um, and, and try to find some type of career path that let me help people. Cool. Cool. Two last questions. One, uh, where can people find you online? All over. If you, if you <laughs> Google my name, you'll see a lot of stuff. Uh, Instagram, we're very active on. We pump out messages daily. Uh, and our goal there is just to reach the people who need it most at the moment they need it with the message they need. I don't know who they are, where they are, what they're going through, but we push out good thoughts every day in hopes that it finds them at just the right moment. 
jerkrobbins.com. So Instagram, um, our website, jerkrobbins.com has lots of cool information. Uh, probably two best places. Awesome. And then last question, my favorite question, what legacy do you want to leave on the world? Man, I love this question. I, I think legacy wise, I'd love to leave a love legacy. Um, I, I'd love to look back at my life and just have one of those pieces where it's not a public thing, but it's just people who knew us uh, could see that I was radically loving my wife with every ounce of my being every day. And I'd love for that to ripple in other people's lives and for them to make, be able to make that commitment and decision their own way, however they want to do it. Uh, but I, I just, those are the deepest ones that have touched my heart looking back, um, seeing someone like a John Wooden, um, mm. the basketball coach who mm -hmm. his wife had passed away. He was the only woman he ever kissed in his whole life. And from the day she passed away, every month he would write her a love letter, handwritten, and put it in a little stack of envelopes that he kept every single day till the day he died. And every month he wrote a love letter to her forever until he, wow. his final breath. Wow. And I was like, that commitment and that love towards her was so beautiful. It just left a little notch in my heart of thinking, wow, I would love to love my wife that much every day for the rest of my life. That is beautiful. Well, thank you, Jarek, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizTalks. This is a new podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review because it will help us create more of what you love. And it will help other ambitious, career-minded listeners find this podcast. Experience Speaks is edited by John Chang. I'm your host, Sean Wolf. See you next week. Stop, stop. How dare we get